Well, good morning, church. It is an honor and a privilege to get to open the Word of God with you this morning. We're going to be in Luke 7 if you want to go ahead and get there. While I'm getting everything arranged, oh, I'm sorry, I mean, I'm in your way. <laughs> well, it has been a week this week, get, getting settled and getting moved out, and thank you guys so much. Man, y'all poured your love out on us, y'all have helped us uh, move out of our house, and, and as we process getting settled here in Ennis, or we're not in Ennis, we're out of Ennis, into China Springs, see, I don't know where I'm at right now. We're not in this anymore. Um, and I was up here on Wednesday night. The Operation, the operation Christmas Child, uh, it was awesome. And if you don't understand that ministry, Operation Christmas Child, every box that goes out, goes out with a gospel presentation. Like, it's not like we just collect all these presents for kids around the world, which would be admirable by itself, Right. But each one of those boxes has a gospel attached to it where someone goes and shares verbally the gospel message as well as these little things inside of them in their language so that they get to hear the gospel. So that's what you're doing. Think about every one of those boxes as little bitty missionaries going all around the world. And that, that, that's what we did on Wednesday and that's what y'all are doing this week as you're finishing those up. But um, as we kind of... Let me orient you to where we're going over the next couple of weeks. So my, my MO, we're going to preach through books of the Bible. But for me to start a book, we would stop for a Christmas series. And then we would start that book again later. And that's just, I didn't want to do that. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to do a, a couple stories, a, a, a couple different stories out of the Bible. And then we're going to start a New Testament series. And in the new year, we'll... Uh, well, a New Testament series, a, a Christmas series, I'm sorry. And then in the new year, we're going to do a, a, a series from a book. So um, be praying about where the Lord's going to lead us on that. But that's just kind of where we're going. But this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 7. So if you will, let's, let's pray together and ask the Lord's blessing on this time. God, I pray that you're honored through the preaching of your word. God, thank you for the worship, and let this be a continuation of that worship, the worship of the word preached. God, and I pray that your spirit would speak to our hearts, that you would convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We have no eyes to see apart from you letting us see. Lord, let us see your truth and how it applies to our life. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So last time I was here with you, we talked about the, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, right? And in that story, we saw that true weakness is projecting strength and self-reliance, but true strength was living a life dependent on Christ, that which looks like weakness to the world. This morning, we're going to celebrate this this, this, this is the, the Bible is so backwards to what we think in the world. This morning, we're going to celebrate a repentant prostitute, and Jesus is going to publicly rebuke a religious man. That, that, that's, that's what we're looking at this morning. The Pharisee has God in the flesh sitting in his living room, and he misses an opportunity to worship God. And on the other hand, this, this woman... She worships Jesus with a reckless abandonment, and she's celebrated by God for doing so. 
So here's the question. This is what, where we're leading this morning. Why did she get it and the Pharisee miss it? Why did she get it and the Pharisee missed it? It's because she had experienced the love and the forgiveness of Christ. So if you're a note taker, these are going to come on the, the screen. This is, this is our, 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 our main point for the day. Okay. <laughs> that Christ, his great forgiveness awakens our soul to love. So that's the truth, but we can't just leave it with something true. So what do we do with that? So what we do is we are to lavish our love greatly on Christ. So what is true? Christ, his forgiveness awakens our soul to love. And what do we do with that? We're to worship him. So let's, let's read our passage together. We're going to be in Luke 7, 36, and we're going to read this whole, whole narrative. One of the Pharisees asked him, that's Jesus, to eat with, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with her hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. Now, the Pharisee who invited him saw this, and he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known what sort of woman this is, touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered, uh, answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them love him more? And Simon answered, I love this answer, by the way. <laughs> the one... I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. And turning to the woman, he said to Simon, and get this picture in your mind. So Jesus is now speaking to Simon with his back to Simon. Here comes the rebuke. Do you see this woman? I entered your house you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss from the time that I came in, and she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith saved you. Go in peace. May the Lord add blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. So before we get into the story, we got we to gotta answer a question. When is this woman forgiven? Or, and if we don't do that, we're going to get this whole thing wrong. Without close study of this passage, it might seem like this woman is forgiven because she expresses love to Christ. And that would be a misinterpretation of how this woman obtained her salvation. 
because that would be a works-based salvation, right? In verse 50, Jesus tells us our answer of how she came to salvation. Look at verse 50. Your faith has saved you. Jesus didn't say your actions have saved you. He didn't say your love has saved you. He said your faith has saved you. And this is no small matter. And if we fall into this, in, into this idea, because I've heard this passage preached this way many times in Protestant churches, but the problem is it's a works-based salvation. Salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, amen? So, and if we were to affirm this truth or this false truth that many people fall into, what we would be doing is we'd be affirming the very thing the Pharisees believed. The Pharisees believed that they were good enough to get to God based on their works, based on the way that they loved through their actions. And that's the very worldview that Jesus is destroying in this story. We'd have to deny the teaching of the Bible as a whole if we wanted to say that her forgiveness came because she anointed Jesus' feet or did some sort of great action. So you might be like, Cody, that's great, but wait a second, you gotta explain verse 48. So let's, let's look at verse 48. Because here, Jesus literally just forgave her sins. Uh, so this is what it says. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. So there you have it. There, there you have it. Her sins are forgiven right then and there, right? Well, yes, but... She, as well as everybody at the table, hears something in this that we don't. Remember, this was written in Greek. We're reading it in English. And the Greek have what's called a perfect tense. That's this word that forgiveness shows up in. And a perfect tense is something that happens in the past that has a continued effect into the future. For instance, I'm holding the Bible. I set my Bible down. I walk off. My Bible has been sat down the effects of the Bible being sat down are carrying into the future, right? She had been forgiven in the past based on the language here, and we're looking at the effects that are carrying into the future. So Jesus is pronouncing her forgiveness for the crowd and maybe even to affirm to her that she had actually been forgiven, but she had been forgiven sometime in the past. So what... Why is this important? So this is going to come up on the screen real quick. I want you to see this. This is important because the woman came into the room as a saint, though the religious in the room recognized her by her sin. But Jesus recognized her by her faith. Her response to Jesus was then just an overflow of love. So I want you to hear this truth. The religious your family, your friends, they might still recognize you by your sin. They might still try to define who you are to you. But Jesus does not recognize you by the sin. He recognizes you by your faith. And he will accept you because of faith. So that, that's something we need to hold on to. But so let's, let's, let's get into our story now. Because if we, if we get the end wrong, we've missed the whole point. So verse 36, we're setting the scene here. 
there was a Pharisee, and we, we're later going to find out that this, name, this guy's name is Simon. And we don't know his motivations of why he invited Jesus into his home. Um, it could have been to, to catch Jesus in something so that he could drag Jesus before the Sanhedrin and uh, maybe get famous for getting Jesus killed. I don't know. Or um, maybe, maybe it was... Maybe it was like Nicodemus. Remember, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and he was legitimately curious about this man from Galilee. I believe because of the context and, and some of this man's responses that it's, it's the prior, that he's, he's trying to catch Jesus in something. But regardless of, of, of his motivation, it was a big deal to have Jesus in his home because it would have made Simon a big deal by association. I mean, think about somebody famous in the world. If they come to your house, you're going to tell people for years and years to come that so-and-so came to my house, right? Uh, there, there's, there's a guy uh, from Ennis. Uh, what, what, what's the, what's the Pawn Stars? Pawn Stars is taking it to the road, and they're coming to his house because he's got something cool. Do you think he's not going to talk about that for a long time after they come? Absolutely. Big deal by association, right? So for, for Simon, he, that's a big deal. So why, let's, let's ask this question. I mean, that's how we become good Bible readers is by asking lots of questions. Why is it a big deal for this, this homeless rabbi from Galilee to come into Simon's home? Why, why, why would Simon even want that? Well, Let's, let's back up a little bit. Let's, let's think about some of the things in context that have already happened in, in the book of Luke. So remember this Roman centurion, he's got this servant that's dying and he comes up to Jesus and he asks Jesus to do this long distance healing. And Jesus did it in a very, very public format. And um, before they got to the home, one of his other servants is coming up saying, hey, the man's, forget, uh, the, the man's healed. So Jesus has already done a long distance healing. Right after that, there's a story about this woman whose, whose son died and Jesus brought him back to life. So Jesus' fame for, being, for doing miracles, it's spreading all over the place. People know his name. They know who he is. Who, I mean, who can bring the dead back to life? Who can heal people? That sure sounds like a Messiah, right? And you got to feel the angst in the Jewish people. They believed that they were under the oppression of the Roman Empire. They were slaves in their own land. This Messiah was going to be the one in their mind that would have thrown off the, the Roman chains from their life. So they're excited about this man. They want to know who he is. They want to know what he has to say. And they want to know ultimately when they're getting rid of Rome. So that's, that's why it's a big deal to have Jesus in his home. So it was, a, it was an honor for Simon. Customarily, a meal like this would have happened in a large courtyard or in a, in a big room. And it was open for the public, which is kind of weird. So they would have a table with, with, with their, the couches around it. And anybody could come in, but the, only the people who were invited could eat at the table. That, that's kind of weird. So I've always kind of wondered how, how the woman got access to to even being in that place, and that's why. So everybody, uh, everybody could come in because, again, people wanted to hear these rabbis and these different famous people as they came through. So that, that was kind of the, 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 the customary thing that was going on. 
And then the other question is like, how did she get to his feet? Well, don't think like a chair like what you're sitting in. These, these tables were much lower and they would have had little couches, but think of like a big long pillow, okay? And you would have said, it says he reclined at table. What that means is generally they would have leaned on their left elbow to, to support themselves and their feet would have been kicked behind them to the wall, thereby making Jesus' feet exposed to the wall. That's, that's what it means that they reclined at table. So, excuse me, let me get a little bit more water. <clears throat> So for the woman being there, everything was fine. It was fine for someone to be there as long as they stayed a spectator. But it was scandalous for her to draw near to Jesus. And it was scandalous for her to make a spectacle. And when she did so, by inserting herself into that situation, the host was outraged. I mean, but we get that, right? You, we've, we've had people over to our homes and... Maybe our children were not on their best behavior. And we were, we were exceptionally frustrated at that. Well, this guy, this is reflecting in his mind on him. He's, he's exceptionally frustrated about the situation. So he says to, he says to himself in, in his heart, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is touching him for she's a sinner. Simon, he identified her by her sin, right? So what's this, what's this, what's this phrase mean? She, this, this, this phrase, a known sinner that Luke uses and that, 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 that Simon he's using here, it's, it's like a colloquialism for a lady of ill repute or a lady of the night. This woman is being identified as a prostitute. So Simon says, if he would have known who she was, he wouldn't let her do this to him. He would not be letting her touch his feet. And Simon, he's identifying her by her sin, but Jesus is right identifying her by her faith. I want to say that lots of times because that's something that needs to be ground into our hearts because we are still failures. But we don't know when or how she came to faith. There were already lots of people who were believers. The message of the gospel had gone out. Any, anything to do there is just speculation, so I'm not going to do that. But it's clear that she's already a believer and she's coming in to worship her king. So let's look at verse 38. So her soul has been awakened to love Jesus and it's evidenced by her display of love for Christ. So we're seeing verse 38, we're gonna look at um, how she's overwhelmed by worship. The woman heard that Jesus was at Simon's house. That's, that's what our passage tells us here. So she, she hurries off and imagine the bravery of her to enter this home. Like she walks in, and nobody may have noticed her, I don't know, but when you're out of place, you feel like everybody knows, notices you, right? You feel like every eye is piercing through you. And she boldly makes her way through the crowd to stand behind Jesus. And when she gets there, 
her heart's overjoyed and she begins to weep. And she begins to cry these uncontrollable tears. The, the word here, weep, in the Greek is raining. She's raining tears. And I don't know, I've, I've got a little bit of imagination. So I just, like, I, I have to picture this in my mind. She's like, I'm imagining like that ugly snot crying. You know, where like the hair and the snot and the tears get all inter, intermangled. That's what I'm saying. And then, and then she, she falls down at Jesus's feet. And there's no way you come to someone's feet without bowing, right? She just assumes that posture of worship. She bows and she begins to, to, to kiss and anoint his feet and she's crying uncontrollably. And again, I have an imagination and guys aren't as good with, emo, like with the emotional spectrum as our female counterparts. And like, we don't really know what to do when someone's crying. Like, could you imagine how awkward this was? Say, say you're the, 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 the cat standing right by, beside her before she loses her mind and falls down and like starts crying. Like, how awkward and weird is that? Because the, the story shows you that no one acknowledges this woman. Like, this whole thing's taking place and nobody acknowledges her to the very end. Like, how long is this happening? And you're having to stand there like, like, it's weird. Like, I want you guys, as we read the Bible, remember these are real people in real places living real lives. And like, that's what's going on. Jesus doesn't even respond to her until the very end. First, he starts talking to Simon. And so she, she starts crying. She's raining these tears. She's she then starts to anoint his feet with this alabaster jar. What that is is perfume. And um, commentators speculate that that's, that would cost as little as half a year's wage, or they speculate even quite a, a lot more. And, you know, you don't see Jesus do what we would do, right? Well, how'd you get that money? What would you buy this with? Is that tainted money? No, Jesus accepts her worship. That's what he does. He's not questioning her. He's accepting her. Her tears and perfume are there and they're wetting the feet of Jesus. And like, they did not wear boots. They wore sandals. And Jesus had been walking around all day in these sandals. And Think about your kids' feet when they come inside from playing barefooted. They're crusty, they're musty, and they're caked on there. Nobody, this, this woman, with her tears and the perfume, and she's made a, a, a dirt cake on his feet. And it's a disaster at this dinner table, and no one's offering the guest of honor a towel to wipe his feet with. So what's that woman do? She takes down her hair. And again, that's, that's, that's something precious, right? But we don't get it. To these first century Jews, the, the hair for a woman was considered to be her glory. 
Every self-respecting Jew in that room, when she took her hair down, would have, would have gasped. The Talmud is, uh, is the Jewish law that it's external to the Bible. It's, it's not biblical law. It's just their law. And the Talmud tells, tells us that for a woman, it would be less offensive to, be, to undress publicly and be naked than it would be to take her hair down in public. Because the hair being down was only for the husband. Everybody in there was offended at what was taking place. But in her worship, hear this. In her worship, she lost all sense of social propriety. She was just pouring, pouring out her affections and Jesus did not push her away. And when you come to Christ, he will not push you away either. So let's look at verse 39 here. We're gonna see the thoughts of the Pharisee. So Simon was internally outraged by the spectacle that was happening in his home. And he says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching his feet, for she is a sinner. Simon gets some sort of weird satisfaction out of this, right? Because in his mind, I believe he thinks he's about to expose Jesus for the fraud that he believes he is. He's about to get, he's about to get famous for this. Like at Simon's house, this charlatan was exposed. Simon, Simon, before all of his Pharisee buddies, was about to have, the, have a little red badge of courage, right? But he's really about to get rebuked by the living Christ. What makes Simon believe that he's a fraud is that he's allowing a prostitute to touch him. And if he was really a, a prophet, he would have known but what Jesus is about to do is he's about to prove that not only is he a prophet, not only is he greater than the prophet Moses in the Old Testament. Remember, we're, we're looking to a prophet who's greater than Moses. Moses tells us that, that there's one coming greater than him. But in, in the next two things that he does, he's about to prove deity. One thing is for the heart of Simon because he's, who knows the internal thoughts of man? Only God. And who can forgive sins? Only God. So Jesus, in what he's doing here, is making claim on deity. He's making claim to be God. So let's, let's, let's look at the way that he rebukes Simon through this parable. So verses 40 through 42. We're not going to read these, but I, I just want to retell the story real quick. So responding to Simon's heart, he tells the story that there is two debtors. Neither one of them had the ability to pay. One owes 10 times the amount of the other one. So uh, they don't have the ability to pay. The debtor forgives them instead of throwing them into prison or um, making them a slave. And he's asked the question, who would love them more? Who, who would love the moneylender more? So let's put that in a modern day context. Since we have all these new precious um, IRS agents that let, let's, let's, let's imagine it like this. Let's say one person owes the IRS $50,000. That's a lot of money but one owes 10 times that, $500,000. The IRS agent, instead of throwing them into white-collar prison, 
which still don't want to go there, he just forgives both debts. Well, obviously, which, which person would be more grateful? The person who owes half a million dollars, because the guy that owes 50,000, you know, that's definitely not as long in prison. And okay, maybe he works it out where he's on a payment plan. With a side hustle and saving some money, you can pay that off eventually. But paying off half a million dollars to the government, that's not gonna happen anytime soon, right? So which one's going to be more thankful is the question. So that's, that's what Jesus asks this Pharisee. He says, now, which of them would love the money lender more? And verse 43 is his response. And his response is priceless. I got to work with youth for a long time. And this, his response reminds me of like a petulant child. Like, look at the, look at the, look at the commas here in this. So verse 43, Simon answered this way. The one, like he knows the answer. I suppose, bro, you know, you know who that is. The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And his answer was obviously right. But what Simon doesn't understand, I think Simon clearly knows that Jesus is talking about him and the, him and the uh, prostitute. But what he doesn't get is that he is equally spiritually bankrupt as that prostitute was. Simon, for all of his self-righteous religion and effort, was hopeless, hopelessly in sin's debt. With God, we are utterly unable to pay the debt of sin. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves right with God. And that's why Jesus paid our sin debt on the cross for us. And if you, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you will be forgiven. Now, here's the deal. It was at a great cost. The payment was at a great cost. It just was not at a great cost to you. Understand the greatest treasure in the heavens is what the, the payment was. God became man and dwelt among us, lived for 30 years on the earth, and allowed the blood to be poured out of his body. He allowed his flesh to be ripped open for your salvation. It was at a great cost. It just wasn't at a great cost to you. The woman knew her sins and she saw herself as a as a sinner, and that's why she was able to worship with this reckless abandonment. And in front of the crowd, all she was worried about was the object of her affection. Simon, on the other hand, he never entered into worship because he didn't see himself as a great sin, a great sinner in need of a great savior. And until you see yourself as a great sinner, you have no chance of worshiping Christ like this. Don't we, especially those of us who have been Christians for a long time, sometimes we stop seeing ourselves really as that bad. And what ends up happening is we act like Jesus just did us a favor. He didn't do you a favor he gave us a sacrifice. Simon had a chance to enter into a real conversation with Jesus, but his defenses were up. 
He didn't want to look weak to the crowd. He wanted his religious buddies to see him as dignified. And he, he altogether missed his chance to worship. In our worship today, my question is, did you miss it? Are you missing it now? Have you missed it for a lifetime? Because you were so concerned about how everybody around you will see you. To be honest, I miss it a lot. You know, I feel like eyes are on me while I worship. And I'm, I start thinking about what, what everybody else is thinking about me. I, I know I'm not the only one that feels this way, right? Every eye in the room was on her. But where was her attention? On Jesus. So for you to say, well, I can't worship because I feel like people are looking at me. That's on you. <laughs> but they're not. But still, it's on you. This woman is the example of worship. Jesus, he exalts this one who came to him in weakness. And he humbles the proud Pharisee. Come, come, come to Christ in weakness. Stop worrying about everything else. So let's look at verses 44 through 50, and we're going to see Jesus' rebuke to the woman, or to the woman, to the, to the Pharisee about the woman. So Jesus, he finally turns and he acknowledges this woman who's sitting there. And again, he's not looking at her sin, he's looking at her worship, right? That's important because we want to keep defining ourselves and we want to keep defining others by sin. And it's we're to be defined in Christ. Jesus, he's not going to look at your past. So Jesus, he brings all the attention to this woman and he exalts, the, exalts her and he humbles them. He humbles the Pharisee. He, he humbles the crowd. He exposes them as weak, as, as, as hypocrites. And now his back is to, is to the is to the Simon, and he's now talking to Simon with his back to him. And Jesus tells them that this woman is to be your example. Could you imagine that? He tells all these religious, dignified men, this woman's to be your example. You gave me no water to wash my feet. She gave me her her tears, and she wiped, my, she wiped the mud off my feet with her hair. You weren't even kind enough to kiss me. It was customary that, that they, you would kiss the guest when they would come in. You weren't kind enough to kiss me. She's not ceased kissing my feet from the time she's got here. You didn't even give me cheap oil to anoint my head. She's anointed my feet with this precious perfume. He humbles the great Simon before the crowd and praises the prostitute. Ladies and gentlemen, we live in an upside-down kingdom if we are with Christ. Things that look like strength to the world are really strength because we're walking by the Spirit. And God, God, God acknowledges us and celebrates us whenever we are dependent on him. Jesus, 
Jesus, he goes further than celebrating her. He says, your sins, which are many, are forgiven. And in contrast, the Pharisee who, whose sins were, were great, they were not forgiven. So now we need to ask the question, was she forgiven because she loved much? Because verse, verse 47, look at this. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. It looks like her forgiveness is predicated on her love, but that's not going to be the case. And I'm going to show you that in the language here. So we need to ask the question, what's the word for doing in this sentence? Um, for can have some different functions. John Piper gives this explanation of how for can work here. So for instance, the house exploded. For they were, explo they were storing dynamite by an open flame. How's for working there? It's evidence, right? Um, it's, 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 the, it's the cause or I'm sorry, not it, it's, it's the cause of why that's happening. They, they stored it, therefore it happened. And four can also work here as, as, as evidence. The, the house exploded, for I saw it with my own eyes. The first case, four was the cause of the explosion, right? In the second case, the four was the evidence of the explosion. So look, look at the screen with me. The woman's great display of love was not the cause of her forgiveness. It was the evidence of her forgiveness that she had been forgiven. And when we see her heart had already been transformed, we, we see that that's happened because we're looking at her actions. Jesus even tells us in verse 50 how she was saved. Verse 50, faith has saved you. Her faith has saved her. So to make an outward expression of love, the cause of salvation, Jesus would have said, go in peace. Your love has saved you. Go in peace. Your work has saved you. Go in peace, your faith. It's all about faith in Christ. Let's look at um, Ephesians 2.8. It's gonna be on the screen for you. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Remember before Christ breathes new life into us, we are dead in our sins and transgressions, right? We can't do anything to worship God until the Holy Spirit comes in and makes us something new. He transforms us from the inside. The woman, apart from God doing something in her, was incapable of loving God. It was, she was incapable of worshiping Jesus. That's what the Bible's teaching us whenever it's, it's showing us about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the one who, who causes us to worship. And the love of Christ, it awakens our souls to love him back. Your love is evidence of how greatly you've been forgiven, right? Those who who are forgiven much, they love much. The woman, she's, she's pouring her love on Christ and it was tied first to Christ pouring his love out on her. She had a lot to be forgiven of, but Christ, he extends more grace than what we can sin. When we sin in ounces full, he pours out grace in gallons full. 
there's so much more grace in Christ than sin in us. You can see that the woman's sins are forgiven. And how can we see it? By the way that she worshiped. You can see the transformation through her actions. You can see her affection, her passion, and the power of her worship. That's how we know that she's been transformed. Could you imagine ever recklessly worshiping Christ with abandon like that? Could you imagine that? For me, honestly, the answer is no. I want, I want the answer to be yes, but I'm, I'm just being honest. Like I, my, my worship so often is tame. It's so often dignified. It's very religious. I think I would be that, that one that was standing against the, the, the side of the wall thinking to myself, dude, just stop making a scene. But Jesus uses this woman as the example to us all. He used her as the example to everyone in that room, and he's used her as the example of worship for the last 2,000 years in the church. Christ, his great forgiveness awakens the soul to love, so let's pour out our love on him greatly. And as I'm thinking about where we're going as a church, where I want to see us go, I want to see us as a people who build the kingdom of God and we're marked by God displaying his weakness, his power through our weaknesses. And I want to be marked as a people who, who passionately worship Christ with, with, with this reckless abandonment and not worrying about how the community would perceive us, but what, rather how the Lord of all creation perceives us. So what would that look like for you individually? A lot of people, that when, when we start talking about this kind of stuff, we say, well, the church should. Well, let me tell you something. The church is not going to sprout legs and go into the community and do stuff. We are the church. You are the church. The church has sprouted legs, and it's you. So what does this look like in your life? What, what thing would God be glorified through you doing because it would show his power in your weakness, but you would have to be willing to be exposed as weak? What thing has he called you to do? Is it going to your neighbor? Is it going to your sister? Is it going to your, 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 your brother? I don't know who it is. Is it... A specific ministry or calling he's told you to do that you've not done because you're worried about how you'd be perceived by them or by your family? Maybe for some of you, it's you know you were not saved when you were baptized as a child, but you've been in the church for a long time now. And at some point you've become a believer, but you've been walking for years in disobedience. Maybe it's for you to step out in faith and get baptized. Maybe some, somebody in here, y'all have been here for a long time and you've came to faith recently, maybe during, during Pastor Barry's time. And you've just been afraid to make that decision public. 
Maybe it's time. Maybe somebody is feeling a call to ministry. Maybe somebody, God is calling you to repent of a sin to someone. You're just worried about how it would look. We all want to grow as a body of believers, amen? Amen. But before we see that, I believe we're going to have to do the hard work of doing, doing foundation work, working on the framework, if you will. Luke 16.10 says, To those who are faithful with little, much will be given. To those who are faithful with little, much will be given. And as we go into a time of worship and reflection, my request is that you would search your heart. I'm going to be over here in the front. And I'm, I'm, I'm here to pray with you. If, you. if you want to know what it means to, to have a relationship with Christ, if you want prayer, I'm going to be over here with you. But I pray that you would really spend time reflecting. Because I believe this is true. That God won't move through our church until we allow God to move through us. God won't move through our church until we allow God to move through us. The band's going to come forward. So what does that look like for you? When we open the word together, we have two options. And I'm going to talk about this every week, Lord willing. We're going to have two options. We can respond or we can reject. What does response look like? It looks like saying, Lord, what you say I will do. What does rejection look like? Maintaining passivity towards the call of the Lord. Or just outright saying, no, I'm not going to do it. Respond to the Spirit today and see what great thing the Lord will do here. What great thing the Lord will do in your life. Or reject the Spirit. Remain proud. And you're going to miss the greatest blessing.